It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Hello and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. Guys Guys Radio is a place where where men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. Hey, we've got a great show for you today. Our special guest is author and uh, speaker and CEO, Skip Pritchard. And he's got a book called The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. And it's all about mistakes that people make in their careers and also in their lives and how we can overcome them. And it's a really fascinating book because he uses the power of story to tell it uh, like kind of a parable in terms of uh, there's two characters and they go through their own journey in the book. And within the book, then the nine mistakes are surfaced that come out where people kind of stub their toe along the way and what they learn from that and how they can overcome these mistakes. And it's very relevant to uh, today's culture and also particularly for people who are just starting out their careers, millennials, and also people who are at uh, decision points and junctures in their career where they want to go in one direction or another and they're not sure. So it's a great book, a very fascinating read, and Skip is a very dynamic speaker. He's actually... When he kind of got started uh, in the new journey he went on uh, after being CEO for many years of various companies, he interviewed over a thousand very famous people uh, from Condoleezza Rice to John Smoltz, pitcher on the uh, Atlanta Braves, whole bunch of uh, celebrities and leaders, business leaders, political leaders, and just experts in different areas. So he's an inspiration for me. And uh, he did a great job with these interviews, just really fascinating stuff. So he's going to be out in a few minutes. Uh, let me talk a little bit about millennials because w- I think this book is really uh, great for millennials because uh, millennials are uh, they're the bulk of our workforce now. And uh, a lot of people say negative things about millennials. And I'm a boomer, and I think millennials are great. When I was president of an ad agency, we used to hire millennials coming out of school for intern jobs, and I felt terrible for them because there wasn't enough money to really pay them fairly. I made sure that we never had interns working for free because I don't believe in that. So we we paid what we could pay, and we did our best to get them on track by teaching them everything that they could pick up and also getting them into the system with real jobs as much as as possible. And I found them, them to be good workers, very sharp. They would pick up things quickly, and of course they knew all the technology. They were very tech-savvy and much more tech-savvy than me and a lot of but the other uh, GXers or, or boomers. So to me, God bless the millennials because they're our future, and I think they're doing a great job. A lot of people say they're slack and lackadaisical and all of that and entitled. I don't, I don't, they're, sure, everybody's different, but listen... They didn't create this world that they're dealing with right now. They're not the ones who gave themselves participation trophies, okay? They didn't hand those out. It wasn't their idea. They received them. They're being blamed for a world that they, they did not create. They come out of school. They're saddled with college debt. College debt is a profit center for the government, uh, and it's tough. These people are working, uh, starting their careers and working under uh, a heavy burden of college debt for years and years and years compared to uh, the boomers. 
they get into the workforce with uh, very uninspiring jobs, a whole bunch of young people sitting in cubes, eating lunch at their desk, those $10 salads in plastic tubs. You can want to go out and have a couple of drinks at night. You know, some of the top bars, at least here in New York, $14 or so for, a, you know, one of those mixologist cocktails. You want to go on a date. Just think if you're going to have two drinks and an appetizer, you're over $100. And the millennials, a lot of them aren't getting paid very well. So it's, and they're in the apartments. I never shared an apartment. I found a small studio when I moved into the city back in the 80s, and I managed to afford it on my own. And uh, nowadays, it's like you, they get in one bedroom, you got four people living in a one bedroom apartment. That's the norm. And they're not living in Manhattan unless they're really killing it. They're, people are living in Bedford Stuyvesant and all different areas deep into the heart of Brooklyn and now uh, up in the Bronx and uh, Harlem here in uh, upper Manhattan is even getting uh, very expensive. So it's it's not easy starting out in the workforce. So let's ease up on millennials. And remember, they're our future. I have a millennial who works with me, does a production of my show, and he worked with me in advertising. And he's a terrific guy. And he's had to uh, deal with all the mess that we've left behind for him and his generation. And uh, shout out to Ryan, my producer. He does a fantastic job. So anyhow, we're going to be talking to Skip about all those mistakes that people make. But also, at the end of the book, there's kind of the nine mistakes that he focuses on. There's also nine solutions. So it's really cool stuff, and I think you'll enjoy it. And I think you'll be be able to relate to uh, the story that Skip weaves. Also, I think you'll connect with Skip as a speaker. And I think these nine mistakes will be things that are very common that you've dealt with and uh, have experienced uh, many times and seen other people make the same uh, kind of screw-ups. So don't be hard on yourself. Love yourself. And if you work on yourself from the inside out, you'll be in the best position to make the changes and overcome any mistakes that you make in kind of the conscious world. So hang in there. We're going to bring Skip out, and we're going to get into it and chop it up on Guys Guys Radio. Hey, uh, we've got a great guest today, um, somebody who's a real inspiration to me, somebody I really uh, admire the work they, they've done. His name is Skip Pritchard, and he's an accomplished CEO, growth-oriented business leader, keynote speaker. He's got a book out called The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future, and it's really been called what I think very accurately an operating instruction for life. You know, Guys Guys Radio is all about when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And this is a great book that can be a guidebook for you moving forward and helping you make the right decisions and avoid those mistakes, those pitfalls that we all run into along the way. And, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. The key is get up and brush yourself off off and keep going. So Skip, one of the wonderful things that he's done, he's featured, interviewed and studied over 1000 of the world's most successful people from sports legends uh, like John Smoltz of the Atlanta Braves, world leaders, Condoleezza Rice, rock stars, I'm not sure which rock stars, but we'll ask them, and news anchors. And drawing from this work and his experience as a successful CEO running complex global organizations, Skip, he shares his insights in this book and in his many keynote speeches around the world and on his award-winning website. And his website have been on it. It's really cool. So check it out. Um, his views have been all over the place in broadcast media, BBC, New York Times, CNN, NPR, the list goes on and on. Um, he's a very interesting guy, and I had a very nice chat with him before the show, and I can't wait to bring him on. So let's bring him on to Guys Guys Radio right now. Welcome, 
Skip Pritchard. Robert, thank you so much for having me. This is great. I appreciate it. You're welcome, and uh, we're thrilled to have you here. My my biggest question is, you know, you've had such a fantastic journey from uh, CEO of uh, major billion dollar corporations to interviewing, then going out and interviewing over a thousand of the most fascinating people and leaders around the globe, sports, entertainment, or business and politics. What inspired you to do this, and how did you get it done? Well, I've been interested in success and leadership my entire life. There's a long backstory to that, but I found myself in the publishing business, and I was the CEO of Ingram, which is the largest trade wholesaler of books. And so we would have all sorts of very interesting people coming through the warehouses in Nashville, Tennessee. And I had a lot of friends who were saying, you know, you really should be interviewing and recording these interviews of all these fascinating people that come through. And so the very first one I did was actually Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. She was coming through to promote a book. And I remember it well because we didn't even have good equipment. And I asked somebody who worked for me, I said, do you have a video camera? And he's like, yeah, I videotape my kids. And, you know, we knew nothing about this. So <laughs> it's just, hey, well, you know, minor detail, just interviewed the secretary of state. And, I, but I had been, I had been interviewing very interesting people for years, interviewing them in terms of this genuine curiosity that I just have always had about people and what makes them tick and what's their motivations and how did they get where they are. And so, uh, yeah, I've been interviewing people really my whole life. Uh, and, and really and truly, I think what's interesting is oftentimes it's not the most successful rock star. It's actually the homeless person mm-hmm. that you actually learn more from sometimes because you learn what not to do. You say, well, what, what led to this? And some of them are quite brilliant in the way they can distill life's wisdom Mm-hmm. Uh, and tell you, you know, this is what happens. So, and if you if you constantly compare those two things, you end up with a, a body of knowledge, sort of a philosophy of how to approach life, and that's what I tried to put into my book. Well, you did a great job with it. So, um, big picture first, like what what did you learn uh, from the process? I think you've just mentioned some of it, uh, and from writing this book and narrowing it down to these nine mistakes that people often make. It, it's been a fascinating journey because the more you learn about other people, the more you also learn about yourself. You learn where you do well and why and where you struggle and why. And when I interview people, I'm so fascinated with their struggle, with their mistakes, with the things that they are wrestling with. Because I think so often, Robert, right, we can interview somebody if they're this hugely successful multi-billionaire entrepreneur we're not as fascinated by their success. We're really fascinated, though, when they talk about how they almost lost it, how they did lost it, the dark days they had, the depression they had, the business things they had to overcome. All of a sudden, that's when we tune in because we can all identify with these struggles with the human condition. So I learned about myself that I've made all of these nine mistakes at various times. And we all have a strength area. We all have areas that we move from that, that are weak. And it's also the people around us are so influential to impart on us on a daily and hourly basis, uh, energy, emotion, intellect, all of these different inputs actually create a successful day for us. If we manage it well, 
And if we do things more deliberately, then we end up more successful. Jim Rohn used to say that it's just a few daily disciplines practiced every day that leads to success, or a few errors in judgment compounded every day leads to failure. And so what are those daily things that we do and the daily thoughts we have and how can that contribute to success? That was a big learning for me. Okay. Um, so let's talk about uh, some of the most important, uh, probably the three that stand out the most, the, the, the stumbling blocks for most people on their path to success. And your, your def- definition of success, I would assume, is personal as well as financial. It is. Success to me is not wealth and riches, right? That's an outcome that may or may not come from being success, but success is when you use all of your gifts that you've been given to your maximum utilization to affect Mm -hmm. the most people and things for good. Uh, That's my definition of success. I agree, 100%. What are the three things then that most people uh, screw up with on on along their path, and and even with those thousand people that you interviewed, did you find a common thread in what they had to say in terms of some of the obstacles they had to co- overcome that were directly related back to mistakes that they had made? Well, all nine of the mistakes are are common. I'm not sure which the, which three are the most common. I, I would say before you even get to the mistakes, one of the things that I learned was this concept of of readiness. When we take on a project, when we take on a goal, when we start a business, so often we just get going, right? You might be more of an action-oriented person. A lot of entrepreneurs are business people. We just go. Um, I'm often a um, fire, 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 ready, aim kind of guy. (laughs) And um, many people do that. And yet readiness, uh, as I say in the book, when you're ready to start something is when your desire is greater than your distraction. And the most successful people instinctively know this. They may not be thinking of it in those terms of that quote, but readiness is when your desire is greater than your distraction. So what is that desire? What is it that you want? What is it that you're trying to create? What is the goal for your business or for your life? And how do I increase my desire for it? And how do I decrease my distractions? The the most successful people are constantly doing this. Eliminating distractions. It may well be, and I'm known for this, I hire people for my distractions, for my weaknesses, for my mistakes. I I acknowledge it. I I don't fight it. I don't pretend I'm perfect. I'm certainly not. I will find people who are specialists and really do a great job with the areas where I'm weak in. Uh, But if we look at some of the the mistakes that some people make uh, to to jump into that, if that's okay. Sure. One of the biggest ones is working on someone else's dream. That's the first mistake people make, is working on someone else's dream. And so often in life, we we end up drifting down a river and we wonder, well, wait, how did I get here anyway? Why did I major in this? Why am I in this job? Why did I go that? Why did I move to the city? It's quite often the fact that something led to it or somebody encouraged us in that direction, but we didn't deliberately kind of analyze it, think about it, what is my dream, where do I want to go, what is my purpose, and then move to it. And the most successful people don't fall into that trap. They're constantly going back to what is my purpose, what is my dream, what do I want to do, and I'm going to go back to that and not let myself drift off into uh, some other area. And so working on someone else's dream to me is the very first thing that happens. And by the way, you look at the research with the people who are dying 
and you ask them about their regrets. And one of the number one regrets is always, I, I, I wish I would have been more true to myself, mm-hmm. which has its um, truth in this very first mistake, working on someone else's dream, because you're not doing that. You're, you're being true to yourself if you don't have that regret. And all of these things are things we learn throughout life, but the most successful people learn about those things earlier. Right? We learn from that and then we apply that quicker instead of learning way into life and say, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm about to retire and I just realized that I've been working on someone else's dream. This is a problem. Like This is not working for me. It's not giving me fulfillment and happiness. Uh, and better to find that if you can have a quarter life crisis instead of a midlife crisis, that's a better thing, right? Learn, learn earlier. Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you about that because a lot of you know if uh, and your book is for people starting out as well as well as people at decision points during their career. Um, a lot of times you get into these entry level jobs, particularly at big organizations, and they put you into a box and it's basically don't screw it up. I know I was <laughs> worked for uh, Nabisco when I was in the Lifesavers the confectionery division, and that they had you know Lifesavers candy. It cost at the time. Three cents to make, and they'd sell it for 60, 70, 75 cents at the time. And it was like, don't screw it up. They didn't do anything out of the box. They didn't. I worked on bubble yum bubble gum, and I got ahead by thinking out of the box and coming up. I traveled around the world and brought flavors in from South Africa and from Australia, and we adapted them for the States. And they liked that type of thinking then. But for the most part, the rewards for, were for not screwing up, not for having your own point of view. How do you guide people to manage that? Because you have to behave in a corporate culture a certain way. And I've noticed, as well as you may have, that a lot of people get ahead by just not rocking the boat. And when you have that entrepreneurial spirit, you better be right and you better make sure you know how to make it happen or you're going to get yourself bounced. You, you are right. And this is why so many people think, oh, this big corporation, I've got to run from it. I've got to escape it. I've got to do my own thing. And that can very well be what you need to do. On the other hand, there are a whole myriad of ways that you can succeed in that environment. Mm -hmm. We all have to look at uh, what we're in and determine, okay, how far am I comfortable pushing to the edge here and where should I land, right? If I'm way outside the norm, they're going to eliminate me at the first corporate downsizing. On the other hand, if I play it safe and do exactly what they want in this boring uh, world that you just defined so beautifully and poetically, then what happens is you'll enjoy your 2% merit increase and you will slowly edge up until you become the um, senior level person over time and 30 years later, you hope to get a gold watch. The most successful people will challenge that, will look for different ways, right? And first of all, challenge your own skills. It could very well be that in your job, you're staying in a lane and then you're going to start taking classes, listening to podcasts, watching some show, putting in some other things that are is going to educate you to get into a whole different area that is probably not even contemplated in the lane that you're in. So there's a lot of ways where you can work outside of that box even when you're in it. And then uh, what can I learn from this? So I, I say become fascinated. Be a great observer. Start learning uh, what what works and what doesn't, and you'll slowly find those levers. It very well may be that you want to be a great student of 
psychology. You want to start watching how people interact. You want to start studying this whole uh, environment that you're in, this culture, to determine something else that you could then talk about uh, later on in life. So get everything you can from it. Don't just go through it like a drone. Get from it. Learn what doesn't work. Uh, Start writing that down. Say, you know what, if I was doing this, this and this and this wouldn't work. And if I was creating it, I would do this, this and this. And you may start sharing some of those ideas. Now, it's how you share it. And are you uh, sharing it in a positive way? Are you someone who is... um, seen as a change agent or are you seen as an agitator, right? Nobody wants an agitator that's negative and whining. But people do want to see, you know, I have a new idea. You know how we have a 67% margin? I can get it to 72%. Or you you know what? I have a new flavor from South America. That might be this extraordinarily positive uh, change. Um, I, I, you can talk to um, various people running different businesses. I remember talking to um, one of the leaders, Howard uh, Bihar of uh, Starbucks, former mm-hmm. president of Starbucks, and he was talking to me about how someone came up with this idea for the Frappuccino. And everybody just said, this idea is horrible. We don't like it. It's outside the box. It doesn't work for us. And then this person kept saying, well, you know, you have to try it. It's so good. And then I've experimented and look at my numbers. And all of a sudden, what was becoming agitation actually became more of a revolution. And I forget how many hundreds of millions of dollars he told me it has contributed to Starbucks growth over time. So it's a great question. And I just encourage people to be individual for, for their strengths and to keep pushing their own skill set. And, and don't just wallow in it. Learn from it. Become fascinated with it. Mm-hmm. One of the, I think the most provocative uh, of your nine mistakes that you put together um, is the last one, believing you have all the time in the world. Because to me, it's a very fine line to walk between anxiety and eagerness. And it's a big difference. Could you talk to us a little bit about uh, the, the importance of point number nine, your not number nine mistake, and how tricky it I- is? It, it is tricky, and I love that counterbalance between anxiety and eagerness. Believing all the time, and you ha- believing you have all the time in the world. I remember once I took this personality test, and I felt really, really bad, Robert, because the 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 score came back for patience, and mine was zero. <laughs> <laughs> I was horrified and uh, very down. I was thinking, well, this is going to be a really great session. The whole group's going to now do group psychology on me because uh, I have zero patience. But the instructor was so wise, he relabeled it. He says, you know, Skip, you don't have patience, and there's you know things to work on with that. That's true. But here's here's what it means. You have an incredibly high sense of urgency. And it's one of the most important parts of success and leadership is to have a sense of urgency. If you want to do something, great point. start today. And if you want to find someone who you need to get something done, you want to find someone with zero patience, high sense of urgency, right? You don't want to pick somebody who says, oh, yeah, I'll get to that. And then you ask about it again. Oh, yeah, I've been meaning to get to that. Or I moved from Nashville. I'm fixing to get to that. Right? <laughs> uh, that doesn't work if you're fixing to get to it. We need somebody who did it already. And so um, having a high sense of urgency, believing you have all the time in the world is extraordinarily important. You look at some of the greatest business leaders, they have what people will call fire in the belly, right? Mm -hmm. And 
it, it may be misinterpreted or negatively construed sometimes as high anxiety, and they may have anxiety, but you want to find people who have this high sense of urgency. You, who do you give the, the, the most important thing to? Usually the busiest person. And you say, well, they're the busiest. Well, they're busy for a reason. They're, they're getting things done. And so believing you have all the time in the world is a real danger because you put it off. You say, well, I'd like to lose weight one day. I'd like to write a book someday. I think I want to launch this at some point in the future. And generally, you're kidding yourself. Generally, it'd be better for you to cross that off your list and say, you know what? I'm really not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Or you could say, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do to start in that direction? Do I need to order something so that I can take a class on it or read a book on it or you know, move in that direction? But if I'm not moving in that direction, either I should take it off as a goal and not kid myself, or I should get at it or find people around me who can get at it for me. There's a lot of different ways to attack it. How do you... Uh, uh and then we'll get deeper into the book. How do you, how can how do you guide people to know how to prioritize? Because you're a hard char- charging guy. You want purposeful people, and the busiest people are usually the best people. And how do you, how do you get them? And how do you get just people in general to prior- know how to prioritize? Because you don't want to have people just jumping. I do this, and now I'm doing this, and now I'm doing this, and juggling all the time. You want people who are purposeful and know how to move everything, herd everything ahead. Busyness does not equate to success either. I've seen that time and time again, and I've learned that mistake in my own life. So often I can be busy and then say, well, what did I actually do? Don't mistake activity for accomplishment, as John Wooden would say. Activity does not mean success or that you're moving something. And, um, you know, there's various concepts that, you know, big rocks and little rocks, people have different kind of ways of looking at this. How you orchestrate your day is extraordinarily important right from the night before on. And how can I say, am I moving the things that are most important? Now, I've seen, I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of successful people about this. There's not one formula, right? There's something that works for, say, oh, you have to do this and start with the hardest thing first. And somebody else will say, do email this or three times a day for email or only answer my phone calls this way. There is no one formula that works for everyone, partly because our brains are wired differently. You may have a different makeup, et cetera. Um, But the question at the end of each day and the question after each week is, if I line up the goals that I have set out for myself, am I moving them forward? Am I spending the time that's necessary or not? Now, there's something else that's, uh, that's at play for some people, and that is, and this is uh, going to get a cheer from all of my fellow procrastinators out there. Uh, I am a procrastinator in some ways. And yet the studies have shown that there's this concept called creative procrastination. Yeah, exactly. It's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Where all of a sudden when I am crunched on time and it has to be done, I have beautiful ideas and beautiful execution that comes to me um, almost supernaturally, almost spiritually. It's like, where did this come from? And some people have that, right? Other people are like, no, I need to do this right away. And I'm a mix, right? And I think most of us are. Some things I can get at and move forward. Other things, if I delay, it may actually 
build up this creative procrastination that's good. At least I tell myself that. It makes me feel much better. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I admire you uh, about this book in a, a number of ways, but a big one is that, you know, I wrote a book, a novel called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, and I was inspired by the fact that I felt that there was a growing chasm of communication between men and women, and women really needed to get a peek behind the curtain and really know what guys are really all about. And it, actually, the truth is not so bad. So the name of the book is The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, and people think, oh, it's like a dating book. Here's it. I said, no, it's a, it's a story. And within the story is the guide to love. And you've done the same thing with the book of mistakes. You have fictional characters in here, and it's like a parable, and it's a very fascinating story. Could you tell us a little bit about what your inspiration was and why you believe, as I do, in the power of story to get your points across? Story is so incredibly interesting. And I, I've written, you know, I've read these nonfiction books. Of course, I've interviewed a thousand people, but I'm a big reader. Every night I'm reading a different book and I love these books, but I have found that so many of them to be kind are boring. So what happens is they start to all feel the same. So I wanted to approach something very differently. I actually wanted people to be entertained. I wanted to write a book exactly. that you could read on a plane and enjoy for the pure entertainment and reading of the story, that you would be invested in the characters. You'd want to know what's going to happen. You're interested in turning the page to see what happens to this guy, what happens to this uh, young girl. And um, so th that's a major factor. The studies also back this up over and over. I mean, why are stories so uh, incredibly important? Well, there's a Stanford marketing professor, Jennifer Aker. She says stories are remembered 22 times more than if I just share uh, facts. And Paul Zak, he's the founding director for the Center of Neuroeconomic Studies. I love that title. <laughs> uh, right? You just use that title. I'd have to listen to anything that he says, right? Center for Neuroeconomic Studies. But he teaches that storytelling, as you're listening to a story, it increases oxytocin production in our brain. When that happens, mm -hmm. it makes us more empathetic. It makes us more open to learning. And as you empathize with a character and then you're introduced to concept, you're going to find it staying with you at a deeper, more emotional level. It penetrates more into the limbic brain. And that allows you to recall it and remember it in a different, almost emotional way. Yeah, I mean, you've got a story is really, it's uh, what does the main character want and why can't he get it? And that has to be purveyor purveying throughout the entire book or uh, film or whatever. And then you have to make that emotional connection at some point, because even a great story doesn't work unless you have a, some type of emotional connection with the reader or the viewer of a movie or a TV show or whatever. So you've done, a, I think, a masterful job with that, because as you read the book, you start to care about what's going to happen with these people, and you throw some obstacles in front of them uh, to raise the stakes, so to speak. So you've done all the classic storytelling techniques there in a very uh, seamless way. So congratulations on that. Thank um, you. Let's get back to some of the points then, uh, the mistakes, uh, if you don't mind. Um, accepting excuses. Um, I, I guess everybody's got an excuse for everything. And in some ways, you don't want people to be guilted on guilting themselves and feeling bad about themselves. And then there's a fine line you walk then, Skip, uh, with about allowing excuses because then you're kind of giving yourself a pass uh, too frequently. How, what's, how do you manage that fine line? It is a fine line. 
there are times when we have to pull something off of our goal list and realize it's it's really not aligned with our purpose and mistake number one. There are other times when, when it may be just a setback along the way. All of these mistakes interrelate. It, accepting excuses is, first of all, it's something I, I really honed in on when I interviewed Rich Gaspari. He was former Mr. Universe, mm-hmm. yep. Gaspari Nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. Incredible. He was here in Columbus for the Arnold Yep. And he, he made a determination. He said, I am going to get back on the cover of these magazines. And this was decades later. Now, this is not this has never been done before, where decades right. later, you're going to be on the cover. And his book was No Excuses. And we had this conversation about excuses. And so many people at his age, my age, we'd say, well, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I'm this, I'm that, my knees, my hat, right? We have, we have a list of excuses um, running in our head. And he said, no excuses. And successful people don't live their lives in excuses. So more often than not, catch yourself. Are you making an excuse or are you projecting a reason that you're going to get it done? I remember this vividly with one organization that I was the CEO of. We lost a major client on a weekend. And the salesperson who had lost the account actually was presenting to the executive team on Monday morning, unfortunate timing for him, because a letter came in over the weekend and it said, we're not going with you and here's why. And it was a list of just complaints about this person. And it was pretty harsh. It was direct and kind of um, painful to read. And he came in to the boardroom and instead of listing excuses... Right. Oh, it was finance. The pricing was wrong. I didn't have help from marketing. I mean, he could have done this. This is what we expected. Instead, he basically came in and said, I'm sorry we lost this account. I'm not going to argue with this letter. I am appalled at this. I take responsibility for what happened. I have paid for, on my own dime, a ticket this afternoon where I am flying out to apologize and nothing more to this customer because I'm horrified to read this. This is not the way I intended to be perceived. Um, I'm going to sign up to make up the numbers in new business. I'm going to uh, hire a coach to help me uh, learn from this experience. I'm going to pay for it. It was the complete opposite of what we expected, right? Because you Mm -hmm. expect all these excuses, and instead he completely took ownership. What a powerful lesson. Do you know... It wasn't immediate, but later on, that person got promoted in the company because right. that's what leadership Not surprised. is. surprised, exactly. Right. Who, who do you it. want to give responsibility to? Right. It was accountability. It was honest. It was vulnerability. It was a beautiful expression of what a leader should be. I'll never forget that moment. And accepting excuses is the very opposite of taking personal responsibility. When you take personal responsibility, you get more responsibility. That is what in turn gives you more exposure, more experience, more opportunities, and you move up uh, in the organization. AI, everybody's worried about AI now. Well, the millennials are thinking all their jobs are gonna go go away. And my contention is, you know, unless they can teach AI to think, uh, to creatively solve problems, you have nothing to, and if you wanna think that way and look, teach yourself to think that way and maintain thinking that way, you're not gonna have to worry. In fact, uh, things are gonna be real good. What's your point of view about um, your nine mistakes and factoring in the, you know, the overemphasis on technology and the fear of AI. 
Throughout history, there have been a variety of technological disruptions. That's happening at a faster and faster rate. I'm a student of it. I'm fascinated by it. I attend the Consumer Electronics Show most years in Las Vegas to see all that's transpiring and happening and what's coming down uh, the highway, so to speak. Um, you can always look at any change and react in one of two ways, right? You can react in fear. You can be a deer in headlights. You can wonder, what do I do about it? Or you can increase your skills and look at it as an opportunity. It's, it's a mindset more than anything else. Uh, it, AI will have profound impacts on nearly every career and every aspect of our civilization over time. When you see how fast it's coming and the, the learning uh, that can occur, it, it, it is remarkable. Do I think that we will end up in a Wally-like world where we're sitting on our backs watching screens and floating? I sure hope <laughs> not, but that movie was right. profound and right. very fascinating to me to uh, think that would be a very dark way to look at it. Um, I think it will free us up to do um, other things and use the the best part of ourselves. Um, but you know, I have people who are afraid of the singularity as well, and machines uh, entering our brains, et cetera. Um, it, 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 this combination of technology and human ingenuity is happening already. And what it usually allows us to do is move to the higher level parts of our brain that are more creative that will um, combine and, and not have to remember facts and things that we can call up on, on machines and do it in a different way. Uh, but it's, it's about our mindset. It's about how we approach this. And each turn and each thing that happens with this will offer immense opportunities if you learn to embrace it and, and move with it. You can fight it all you want, but it's coming. And so uh, learning what it is, how it will affect you, how you can change. Um, and it, it's interesting, this, this Jim Rohn quote to me, which is a theme of, of my career development, my personal development, my uh, website at skippritchard.com is, is work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And I think that's what's important as you look at AI and things coming. Right? You can work on your job and then AI can come along and maybe eliminate your job, if depending on what it is, or not change it at all. Uh, this whole spectrum. But if you're always working hard on yourself, then you're going to gain new skills. You're going to be uh, more marketable. You're going to be able to move in different directions because you're constantly expanding your skill set. Uh, so don't be narrow. Keep keep an open mind and keep learning and keep your skills sharp. Okay. Uh, I want to get back to kind of the central, uh, your finding your purpose is so important. One of the central themes of the book and one of the central themes of what you teach and for some people, I think it's it's challenging for them to they just they're doing the day to day, and it's hard to step back and say what what is my purpose? Where do I want to go? What do I want to do? I mean, for myself, I want to reach as many people as possible. I started in on the client side. I got into advertising. I reached more people. I did it from a business standpoint. I was president of an agency. I made sure I oversaw the ideas. Then got into I published uh, got picked got a publishing deal for my novel. Then I got on uh, my website, did 350 blogs, got that syndicated, then started doing Guys Guys Radio, and now it's getting bigger. We're getting picked up by iHeartRadio. We're going nationwide. So it's just my purpose was to reach, to reach people, have a positive message, and showcase seekers to, to other people so people have a chance to think uh, 
to, to have more information to consider, more ideas to consider. And uh, that is a culmination of 30 years of, uh, of a career where I made those moves. And what I did was, and I, I say this for a reason because I think it's relevant, to take the skills I learned from each job and each corporation, whether it's a big corporation, a small corporation, and and wrap that into a package where I kept hopefully getting better and better and better. And it wasn't based on my title or how much money I made in the different positions. It was about where I wanted to go. Could you wrap on that a bit, Skip, about how people can do this? Because I, a lot of times people get off track. They'll drop one career. They don't take the skill set that they learned in that career and they start something else that's completely unrelated, which is okay in a way, but you want to be able to have skills that are transferable, whether it's personal relationships, communication, or whatever. When you move from job to job, opportunity to opportunity, business to business, look at your motivation and say, am I moving away or am I moving to? The more successful people are people that move to and not away. What do I mean by that? If you're saying, you know, in an interview, I really want this job and I'm interviewing you. And I say, Robert, tell me what inspires you, whatever. And you say, well, I'm moving away. I'll use an extreme example. I'm moving away. Um, and, and then what would that look like? I, I don't like my boss. I don't like the hours. I don't like where it is. I don't like the city. I don't like the culture. I don't like their health care benefits, right? That's all moving away. And, and that means that you're really going to join the next organization and you're going to have an away mindset. You're going to look for the same things and then you're going to find yourself moving away again. And then you're going to say, well, that industry isn't for me. It has this, 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 and this, right? I don't like whatever, lifesavers, I'm moving away versus I'm moving towards, right? I, I've taken everything that I learned from this experience and it's been a wonderful experience. And the reason why I want to join your organization is because I want to take all of these skills and learnings, mistakes, failures, and successes, and I want to apply that knowledge and skill into this organization to help move me and this organization forward. So this mindset of moving to or, um, or from, like where, where are you moving away or, or towards something is extraordinarily important. I think it's also very important to watch your energy levels. I tell people one of the key ways to know am I in an area that I should be is to monitor and kind of closely attune to the energy that I feel. Mm -hmm. Am I energized by this interaction? Am I energized by this meeting? Am I energized by my day? Or does it suck the very marrow from my bones, right? That would be the other extreme, right? Mm -hmm. Where, what is this energy level? Do I feel uh, empowered? Do I feel encouraged? Because the very same situation, you can take the same cubicle, the same exact job, the same car, the same everything, and one person's going to be enthralled with it and somebody else is going to feel like they've been beaten down the entire day and there's not anything left. We're all wired differently. So I want to move toward the things, toward the people, toward the jobs, toward the opportunities that are increasing my energy. And that will in turn generate something that uh, becomes a future for me that I know that I'm aligned in my purpose. So usually the radical changes don't, um, don't matter, but there are times when somebody says, Okay, wait a minute. 
I'm drifting along. I find myself here. I do need to make a radical change because I'm living someone else's dream, mistake one. Mm -hmm. And I need to make a radical change. So you can make the radical change, but you want to do it in a way that still doesn't lose this bank account that you've been building up of skills, of attitudes, of attributes. And there's always a way to do that, right? There's always a way to do that if you look hard enough. Okay, great. Uh, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Skip Prichard, The Book of Mistakes, Nine Secrets to Creating a Successful Future. I want to go off track a little bit because you've interviewed over a thousand people and I've interviewed about 300 people and I always want to learn. And my style is I figured, you know what, I listen to so many talk shows and talk radio and I'm like, I, I want to ask, I always had a question, ask them this, ask that. And when I do my show, I like to keep it raw, like it's a conversation like we first just met, and I might have to reach for a word here or there. That's okay. I've been on a lot of shows and interviewed people where they, they stop the show, they re-record and all this. I, I don't believe in that. I like, I like the energy, and I like to just roll with it. But I want to ask the questions that I think that listeners want me to ask. And what have you learned over the years? What makes a successful interview? A Teach curious me. person <laughs> who... Uh, has a genuine interest in the other person and wants to learn and apply it. I'll contrast what makes an unsuccessful interview is when someone's not a good listener and they simply have a list of questions and they're going to to the questions and they're not listening and picking up on things uh, as that conversation unfolds. So it's not natural. The most successful interviews to me are, are, are natural conversations but the interviewer knows what he or she is looking for and is pulling that information out and is willing to, uh, to get there. And, you know, and there's various types of successful interviews, right? Some would be that hard-charging, right. uh, Barbara Walters kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, I'm going to make you cry interview. Others would be uh, successful in a completely different way. Um, and I interviewed Barbara Walters and, and Dan Rather and some great journalists, so I, I know – I. I was kind of nervous about that because you, you interview some so. of the greatest right. interviewers, right. right? That becomes a different uh, game entirely. Um, but I really think curiosity is such a big thing. And are you naturally curious? Do you do you want to know? And I love to talk to people like you and ask that, that same question. Like, what, what do you think makes a great uh, interview? Um, I, I love to learn these things. And I love to learn from people and find out some of their key uh, uh, things that make them tick. The why behind it is so important. Yeah, if you can get yeah. to that, right? Mm -hmm. The why behind it. it. I, I agree with you completely. I think uh, if you just stick with the song strip, uh, script, rather, people are just going to go through and they're going to have their rote answers to their questions. I think you want to make it a conversation as much as possible. Of course, when you're interviewing, you have to check your notes, but I make sure I have different sets of questions. And if I hear something, I'll circle a question. That's a good one to ask. I want to make it comfortable. I want to showcase the person I'm interviewing. I'm not here to bust people's chops. And I've never had to because people really seem to respond. And I want it to be natural in that we, we both want to help provide information for people listening to say, that's interesting, and this is something that I, I'll, I'll consider. I, I don't think we can get better than that. If somebody's willing to consider what we're talking about, we're in a, and they're entertained, we're in a really good place. Well said. I agree with that 100%. Okay, so Skip, you've been fantastic. We're running out of time. Um, tell us what else we need to know about the book, 
Well, my mission is always to help individuals and organizations aim higher so they can achieve impossible breakthroughs. And I am so inspired when I hear the stories from people who are having those breakthroughs individually or in their business as a result of an idea that came into their mind when they just so happened to be reading something of mine or listening. Uh, you can reach me at skipprichard.com, uh, no T in Pritchard, S-K-I-P-P-R-I-C-H-A-R-D, or thebookofmistakes.com. You know, we really can't do much about our weakness. We can do a lot with our strength. And so the book's actually orchestrated backwards in terms of giving you the teacher that you are, where this is your special gift that your real um, orientation is to and you can help others with. Each one of these characters um, usually was inspired by people that I know as well. So, But each one of these um, mistakes, each one of these uh, teachers is teaching one of these nine mistakes. The, the whole story is around uh, this young man named David, and then there's this flashback to this young lady named Aria. And they are going through a, almost a mysterious process where they're meeting these nine uh, teachers from the book of mistakes so that they can master these nine mistakes. And the idea is that the people who master these nine mistakes become the most successful, the most influential, the most powerful of their generation. And that each generation for hundreds of years has only had a handful of people who know the all nine mistakes. But now mm -hmm. this mistake uh, book, the book of mistakes is available. And so um, those people who tune in and read it are the people of this generation that will inspire the future. And it's all designed around personal accountability, around readiness, and around uh, really grabbing life and making it work for you in a more successful, fulfilling way. Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you, Skip. Pleasure to meet you. I have lots of other questions for you, but we only have so, so, so much time. Uh, you did a great job, and I think everybody, including myself, has learned a lot from, uh, from your book and from also what you shared with us today. So thank you for being our guest on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure, and I love your program. So thanks so much for inspiring so many of us. All right. Thank you, Skip. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be, yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio, better men better world. All right, we're back on Guys Guys Radio. Your host here, Robert Manny. Thanks for listening. That was a great and very stimulating conversation with Skip Prashard. He is a, a dynamic speaker, and his book, The Book of Mistakes, really it really teaches us that you can learn more from people's mistakes sometimes than from their successes. One of the things I love about the book is Skip focuses on like these nine mistakes that people often make, and he articulates them with different examples. And then at the end of the book, he lays out, here's nine kind of... Uh, 
ways to create a successful future. And he flips those mistakes on their head. And I, I, my takeaway was the biggest one is to f- be who you are and find your purpose. I'm not saying that's what, what Skip says exactly, but he, he, he actually says, live your own dream, which to me is the same thing. And that is be authentic, be who you are, uh, and don't be swayed by everybody else. Any job you get into, learn from it. You can learn from any, I learned from being a paper boy to working at Howard Johnson, scooping out ice creams from people, to working at a liquor store, from doing street construction, to being in advertising, to being in sales, to being in marketing, and now being host of Guys Guys Radio. Every job, I've learned to transfer my skills from one job to the next and also keep shaping and sharpening up my game. And I think that's the biggest thing. And always be yourself. Don't be swayed by others' definition of who you are. Um, You're going to have to deal with some tasks that are part of the job. And a lot of times you work for these big companies and you feel like you're in some type of a closed quarters because you really can't drift too far from what the uh, corporate or brand objectives are. But that doesn't mean you can't be creative because there's always creative ways of uh, solving problems. So if you maintain who you are, look for creative solutions and uh, live a purposeful life and career, things can work out really well. So uh, Guys Guys Radio, I'm here uh, every Wednesday evening on KCAA, 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 106.5, 102.3 FM, 10.50 a.m. It all started with my novel. I also used the power story to get my nonfiction points across. The name of my book is The Guys Guys Guide to Love. It's really a uh, template of two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City. My website is robertmanny.com, M-A-N-N-I.com. And you can hook me uh, up at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm all over social media. And I really appreciate your being my audience. And I, I take the responsibility very seriously of bringing you Uh, the best content, the best guests, and the best information for those of you out there who are seeking new opinions, new ways of looking at our world, new solutions, and then you decide on your own, hey, I'm vibing with that, or maybe there's something there I like, but not all of it. I don't necessarily have the exact same opinion of all the guests I bring out here because I try to bring out some guests that have really They're pushing the envelope, and I think that's a good thing, but I do respect what they all have to offer, and they're all sincere about their work, and I make sure I screen that and qualify that before I bring them to you, and then it's up to you to determine what your takeaway is. So it's Guys Guys Radio. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. As I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.